Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. I'm going to start this episode with a bit of a problem and a bit of a moan. Now, I'm not the thinnest of people on the world. I'm not going to deny that at all. I carry more than an adequate amount of extra body weight. Let's put it that way. And I have a bit of a personality to match that body weight as well. I like my food. So imagine, as a fat man, my feelings when I'm looking forward to a lovely fried egg for breakfast and then my youngest darling daughter steals it from me in front of my eyes. Imagine a few days later when I'm going for a healthy option breakfast cereal bar and again my darling youngest daughter steals it from me in front of my very eyes. But do you know something? My love for her is stronger than that for food, and I forgive her. And do I go on about it? Of course I don't. But what happens when I then find that she's there with my copy of Whiskey Magazine and a pair of scissors about to cut out one of the pictures for her coursework? You know, there has got to be limitations. And that's my moan. And my problem is, what on earth do I do with this reckless, deviant child of mine? There's got to be some priorities put into her life. Anyway, enough about that. I mean, the thing I have to say about this, of course, she was going for that copy of Whiskey Magazine. Why couldn't she have gone for the current copy of Whiskey Magazine? Because when I was at Whiskey Live, I got a free copy of it, and when I got home, there waiting for me was the same copy for my subscription. So I've got two copies of that. And what a brilliant edition it is too. I haven't read all of it yet, but it does contain the winners of the Icons of Whiskey 2011 and some really good features as well, including features about Irish whiskey, a special feature on Dr. Vijay Malia, um, who we talked about a little bit in a recent episode of this podcast when we looked at Shackleton's whiskey. There's articles here about Cooperage. Um, Gavin D. Smith looks at Parkmore Distillery in his Lost Distilleries series. We have got uh, an article here about Lithuania's first whiskey bar, and that's been written by Neil Ridley, who was mentioned in last week's episode. And there's there's so much more. There's distillery focuses, there's look at travel retail, there's aspects of the life of a cask and how that can affect ageing and taste. There's news, Um, there's a a forum, there's a whole load of information, a whole lot of articles there. And it also, I have to say this, includes the reader's hot shots. They reveal the winners of their inaugural photographic competition. And there's five photographs here from readers that are absolutely lovely. Now the other thing I want to say quickly is a thank you to Napogue Castle. Um, The other day I came home from work and there waiting for me was a parcel and in that parcel was a sample bottle of their 16 year old Twinwood. 
and that looks really lovely beautiful rich color to it very nicely bottled and the label on the bottle harmonizes beautifully with the color of the whiskey inside i haven't tasted that yet i'm going to save tasting that into a future episode where i can do something either about the brand and the castle itself or linking it with another one because i also want to do an episode soon about wild geese whiskey i may put those two together so thank you to to Napod castle for sending me that compass box they make some brilliant whiskies but they have also done some other really interesting things one of the things they've done recently is promoting and supporting the international women's day 2011 by organizing a woman only whiskey event to celebrate it and that was on the 8th of march in new york now i reckon that would have been a really interesting day but i couldn't get there i couldn't get to new york and i'm not a woman anyway but i'd love to have known how that event happened how it how it went so what i'd like to happen here is if anybody was there at that event please either email me and let me know how it how it went or even send me an mp3 sound clip a little review of how the day was and and if you do that I, there's a fairly good chance that i will put that out in, in a episode soon the email address is jim at the malted now this episode is going to be a bit of a strange episode it's going to start with talking about whiskey it's going to then move away from whiskey it's going to travel the world and eventually will return to whiskey and we'll finish with an interview with ronnie cox from berry brothers and rudd which is an interview that took place at whiskey live in london this year and i just found ronnie to be so eloquent so knowledgeable and i just felt that i didn't want to put that interview with the other ones that i did last week i wanted it to stand alone and i was planning to do an episode about cutty sark whiskey and they they match up so thank you to ronnie for that the other thing i want to do as well is say thank you to nathan saker i hope i've pronounced your name right there who's visitor services manager for cutty sark enterprises limited now that's not cutty sark the whiskey it is cutty sark the actual ship itself and if people want more information about that or even maybe contribute towards the preservation of cutty sark the website is www.cuttysark.org.uk um I've been on that site. It's got lots of information about Cutty Sark and really is a beautiful ship well worth visiting. Uh, So thank you, Nathan, for allowing me to use some of the research that that your organisation has done and for giving me some support on that. Now I'm going to read an epic poem. And it's from the famous poet Robert Burns. But I've got a confession to make. The version I'm going to read is a translated version. And there's a few reasons for that. Robert Burns tended to write in dialect, which meant that if you don't speak in that dialect, 
A, it's very hard to read. B, it's not so easy to understand. And I want as many people as possible to be able to understand this. And I will be honest with you, I, I do struggle with the dialect. I do not find Burns an easy read, despite the fact that he was clearly a very talented man, because it's so heavy in dialect. So I'm going to read a little bit here, and it is Tam O'Shanter by Robert Burns, but it's the translated version. When the peddler people leave the streets and thirsty neighbours neighbours meet, as market days are wearing late and folk begin to take the road home, while we sit boozing strong ale and getting drunk and very happy, we don't think of the long Scots miles, the marshes, waters, steps and stiles that lie between us and our home, where sits our sulky, sullen dame, gathering her brows like a gathering storm, nursing her wrath to keep it warm. This truth finds honest Tam O'Shanter, as he from air one night did canter, Old air which never a town surpasses For honest men and bonny lasses. O oh, Tam, had you but been so wise As to have taken your own wife Katie's advice. She told you well you were a waster, A rambling, blustering, drunken boaster, That from November until October Each market day you were not sober. During each milling period with the miller, you sat as long as you had money, For every horse he put a shoe on, The blacksmith and you got roaring drunk on. That at the Lord's house, even on Sunday, You drank with Kirkton Jean till Monday, She prophesied that late or soon, You would be found deep drowned in Doon, Or caught by warlocks in the murk, By Alloway's old haunted church. Ah, gentle ladies, it makes me cry To think how many counsels sweet, How much long and wise advice The husband from the wife despises. But to our tale, one market night, Tam was seated just right, Next to a fireplace blazing finely, With creamy elves that drank divinely. At his elbow, cobbler Johnny, his ancient trusted thirsty crony. Tom loved him like a very brother. They had been drunk for weeks together. The night drove on with songs and clatter, and every ale was tasting better. The landlady in Tam grew gracious, with secret favours sweet and precious. The cobbler told his queerest stories. The landlord's laugh was ready chorus. Outside, the storm might roar and rustle. Tam did not mind the storm a whistle. Care mad to see a man so happy, Even drowned himself in ale, As bees fly home with loads of treasure, The minutes wing their way with pleasure. Kings may be blessed, but Tam was glorious, Over all the ills of life victorious. But pleasures are like poppies spread. You seize the flower, its bloom is shed. Or like the snowfall on the river, 
a moment white, then melts forever. Or like the aurora borealis rays that move before you can point to their place. Or like the rainbow's lovely form vanishing amidst the storm. No man can tether time or tide. The hour approaches, Tom must ride. That hour of night's black arch, the keystone. That dreary hour he mounts his beast in, and such a night he takes to the road in, as never a poor sinner had been out in. The wind blew as if it had blown its last. The rattling showers rose on the blast. The speedy gleams, the darkness swallowed, Loud, deep and long, the thunder bellowed. That night a child might understand The devil had business on his hand. Well mounted on his grey mare Meg, A better never lifted leg. Tom raced on through mud and mire, Despising wind and rain and fire, Whilst holding fast his good blue bonnet, while crooning over some old Scots sonnet, whilst glowering round with prudent care, lest ghosts catch him unaware. Alloway's church was drawing near, where ghosts and owls nightly cry. By this time he was across the ford, where in the snow the peddler got smothered and past the birch-trees and the huge stone where drunken Charlie broke his neck-bone, and through the thorns and past the monument where hunters found the murdered child, and near the thorn above the well where Mungo's mother hung herself. Before him the river dune pours all his floods, the doubling storm roars through the woods, the lightning flashes from pole to pole, Nearer and more near the thunder rolls, When glimmering through the groaning trees, Alloway's church seemed in a blaze. Through every gap light beams were glancing, And loud resounded mirth and dancing. Inspiring bold John Barleycorn, What dangers you can make us scorn, with ale we fear no evil, with whisky we're face the devil. The ale so swam in Tam's head, fair play, he didn't care a farthing for devils, but Maggie stood right sore astonished, till by the heel and hand admonished, she ventured forward on the light, and vow, Tom saw an incredible sight. Warlocks and witches in a dance, no cotillon brand new from France, but hornpipes, jigs, strathspeys, and reels put life and metal in their heels. In a window alcove in the east, there sat old Nick in shape of beast, a shaggy dog, black, grim, and large, to give them music was his charge. He screwed the pipes and made them squeal till roof and rafters all did ring. Coffins stood round like open presses That showed the dead in their last dresses. And by some devilish magic slight, Each in its cold hand held a light, 
by which heroic Tom was able to note upon the holy table and murderer's bones in gibbet irons, two span long, small, unchristened babies, a thief just cut from his hanging rope, with his last gasp his mouth did gape, five tomahawks with blood red rusted, five scimitars with murder crusted, a garter with which a baby had strangled, a knife a father's throat had mangled, whom his own son of life bereft, the grey hairs yet stuck to the shaft, with more a horrible and awful, which even to name would be unlawful, three lawyers' tongues turned inside out, sewn with lies like a beggar's cloth, three priests' hearts, rotten, black as muck, lay stinking, vile in every nook. As Thomas glowered, amazed and curious, the mirth and fun grew fast and furious, the piper loud and louder blew, the dancers quick and quicker flew, they reeled, they set, they crossed, they linked, till every witch sweated and smelled, and cast her ragged clothes to the floor, and danced deftly at it in her underskirts. Now Tam, oh Tam, had these been young girls, all plump and strapping in their teens, their underskirts, instead of greasy flannel, been snow-white seventeen hundred linen, the trousers of mine, my only pair, that once were plush of good blue hair, I would have given them off my buttocks for one blink of those pretty girls. But withered hags, old and droll, Ugly enough to suckle a foal, Leaping and flinging on a stick, It's a wonder it didn't turn your stomach. But Tam knew what was what well enough, There was one winsome jolly wench That night enlisted in the corps, Long after known on Carrick shore, for many a beast to dead she shot, And perished many a bonny boat, And shook both much corn and barley, And kept the countryside in fear. Her short underskirt, O oh, pasty cloth, That while a young lass she had worn, In longitude, though very limited, It was her best, and she was proud, Ah, little knew your reverent grandmother That skirt she bought for her little granddaughter. With two Scots pounds, it was all her riches Would ever graced a dance of witches. But here my tale must stoop and bow, Such words are far beyond her power, To sing how Nanny leaped and kicked, a supple youth she was, and strong, And how Tom stood like one bewitched, And thought his very eyes enriched, Even Satan glowered, and fidgeted full of lust, And jerked and blew with might and main, Till first one caper, and then another, Tom lost his reason altogether, And roars out, well done short skirt, And in an instant all was dark, and scarcely had he Maggie rallied, When out the hellish legion sallied, As B 
bees buzz out with angry wrath when plundering herds assail their hive as a wild hare's mortal foes when pop she starts running before their nose as eager runs the market crowd when catch the thief resounds aloud so maggie runs the witches follow with many an unearthly scream and holler ah tom ah tom you will get what's coming in how they will roast you like a herring in vain your kate awaits your coming kate soon will be a woeful woman now do your speedy utmost meg and beat them to the keystone of the bridge there you may toss your tail at them a running stream they dare not cross but before the keystone she could make she had to shake a tail at the fiend for nanny far before the rest hard upon a noble maggie pressed and flew at tam with furious aim but little was she maggie's mettle one spring brought her off her master whole but left behind her own grey tail the witch caught her by the rump and left poor maggie scarce a stump now who this tale of truth shall read each man and mother's son take heed whenever you drink you are inclined or short skirts run in your mind remember you may buy joys over dear remember tam o'shanter's mare now as i've said this is the translated version but i do feel the need to actually return to the original for just one little bit of it and what I'd like to do is reread just a couple of random lines from here well they're not random but they're just not linked together one of which goes her cutty sark or paisley ham and another line goes or cutty sarks run in your mind and another one and roars out wheel done cutty sark now this expression cutty sark refers to the short skirt and it was from this poem the short skirt that you could relate to being like a short sail but is more to do with the speed because the witch with that short skirt with that cutty sark was the fastest of them all and that was the inspiration behind something else. The famous tea clipper Cutty Sark first left London on the 16th of February 1870 and commanded by George Moody. He travelled via the Cape of Good Hope to Shanghai and although a tea clipper she carried as a first cargo not tea but wine, beer, and perhaps prophetically, spirits. However, she did return with tea, in fact 1,450 tons of it. And despite the reputation for speed, she never was the fastest tea clipper, although in 1872 she did have a go at the title. She left Busani on the 17th of June 1872, the same day as rival ship Thermopyla. 
by the 7th of August, the Cutty Sark had amassed a 400-mile lead, but her rudder broke and needed two lots of repair whilst at sea in bad weather. She eventually docked in London on the 19th of October, seven days later than her arrival. The own, she only did eight runs on the tea trade before the domination of steam caused her to look for other cargo. Now this was mainly because of the opening of the Suez Canal in 1869 and that gave steam vessels a shortcut that sail ships couldn't navigate. And by this time Captain Moody had resigned due to stress and was replaced by Captain Tiptaff who died in Shanghai and was, in turn, replaced by the first mate, James Wallace. In 1880, drama was to become intense aboard the ship. The first mate, Sidney Smith, killed a seaman, John Francis, and was confined to quarters. Captain Wallace helped him to escape, and angered by this, the crew went on strike, leaving the ship dormant at sea for three days. Wallace jumped overboard, and although a rescue attempt was tried, well, let's put it this way, the sharks got to him first. The next captain was William Bruce, who was transferred from the ship Halloween. He's been described as an incompetent drunk. He got rid of crew members that were being paid more money and kept the wages for himself, and he failed to pick up adequate amounts of provisions, causing the remaining crew to become half-starved. Following an inquiry, he was replaced by Captain F. Moore. And so it was, with a dramatic history and the domination of steam, that this 14-year-old clipper was to be retired. Oh no, not a chance. In reality, her best years were about to start. March 1884 saw her beat every ship sailing by at least 25 days. Captain Moore was replaced by Captain Woodgett, whose fearless navigation took the ship further south than ever before and dominated the wool trade for ten years and established herself as the fastest ship, famously overtaking the steamship Britannia. By 1895, Captain Widget had left and the Cutty Sark had been sold and renamed Ferreira and again in 1922 to Maria do Amparo. She was bought back again in 1923 by Wilfred Downen and was renamed once again to Cutty Sark. She was restored and opened up then as a cadet training ship. She's now under the care of the Cutty Sark Conservation Project and open to the public in dry dock at Greenwich where she has survived fire in 2007 and has been visited by well over 15 million people. The Cutty Sark was a vessel that stood out. It wasn't the first, but it had character. It was cared for, but it was also different and daring. It defied the trend and won good reputation. 
No wonder it became the inspiration for a whisky of similar character. Who was going to be behind such a whisky? To answer that question, we must go back to 1698, when the widow Bourne opened a grocer's shop at the now famous Number 3 St James's Street. Through a process of marriage and passing on through generation, the now extended business was in the hands of John Berry's, a wine merchant from Exeter, grandson, at the tender age of just 16 years. This firm extended the wine list, but also created ginger brandy special liqueur, which was to become the king's ginger liqueur when it was given to King Edward VII to help him ward off a chill. In the early 1900s, they were joined by junior partner Hugh Rudd, whose expertise took them outstandingly into the German wine areas and extended their excellence even further. But for the sake of our interest, it was a lunchtime meeting on the 23rd of April 1923 that was to be of special importance. America was deep in the throes of prohibition. The great experiment was going wrong. Despite the law, more drinking places were around than ever before. More alcohol was being consumed, but quality was by no means assured and the profits were going to unscrupulous and dangerous gangsters. Trade into this market was totally illegal and the route full of hazards. However, it was not illegal to trade into the Bahamas which was to change from being a quiet, tranquil backwater to a centre of expanding, illicit trade of all descriptions. Anyone who could get a reputation for being able to have the guts and strength to cope with this and the integrity to gain the reputation of authenticity and good standards, anyone who could do this would be in a fantastic situation and such a man was Captain Bill McCoy, a teetotal, illicit trader whose name was the origin of the phrase the real McCoy, a statement of authenticity. However, back to lunchtime, 23rd of March 1923, sat round the table were the partners Francis Berry and Hugh Rudd and James McBay, famous Scots artists. Berry Brothers and Rudd had begun trading in whiskey and had kept an eye on the prohibition in America. They knew that it could not last much longer and that it would be good to get product onto, out there and into that market. If they could, if they could do this, they would have a head start on others by established reputation and established trading points. They knew that Captain McCoy could carry this off if they legally traded into the Bahamas. All they needed was the product, something that met the needs of an evolving palate, something of quality, something that stood out, something that was 
different. So it was that the idea for a light-coloured blended scotch came up, made only from fine whiskies and light in colour so that any adulteration could easily be seen, and light in flavour to meet the palate of what people wanted, the taste of what people wanted. But what to call it? James McBay suggested Cutty Sark. The ship was much in the news and represented so much. There and then he drew a simple design on a napkin and the whisky was born, still using the hand-drawn elements, a name from a poem by an excise man who rebelled against the law he was supposed to enforce, given to the fastest tea clipper whose best days had nothing to do with tea, a whisky designed by a wine merchant sold to a country in prohibition and transported by a man who did not drink. Sometimes the true story is better than any fiction. Nowadays, Cutty Sark comes in more than one form. There's the entry-level Cutty Sark blended Scotch whisky, but there's also a blended malt Scotch whisky. The former comes with a yellow label, the latter comes with a green label. But there's also the deluxe range. With a black label, there's the 12-year-old blended Scotch Cutty Sark. With a red label, there's the 15-year-old blended Scotch Cutty Sark. And with a gold label, there's the 18-year-old blended Scotch Cutty Sark. But there's also, with a blue label, the 25-year-old blended Scotch Cutty Sark. Well, that's, that's enough for me talking about this. Why bother listening to me when you've got somebody as knowledgeable as Ronnie Cox from Berry Brothers and Rudd give his perspective of the company as he did to me at Whiskey Live London. going back quite some time, isn't it? Well, it, it, it originated in 1698, and it was what was called an Italian warehouse, really a sort of posh grocer. And it started in the West End of London, and it was servicing really the aristocrats and the well-to-do who lived in that part of the world, next door to the Royal Palace, which in those days was uh, St. James's Palace. So we're going back 1698, and they really traded in coffee because in the area of St. James's there were over a hundred coffee houses. So the Starbucks really of the day, which then later turned into sort of gentlemen's clubs and they became meeting places for people of like mind. So if you're interested in gambling or horse racing or politics or economics, you would have a club to which you would go on a regular basis and possibly then become a member of it. Men were only allowed to drink coffee because it was called a narcotic in those days, and it is a narcotic in a sense, and um, we provided the coffee for them. So we were just merchants providing coffee. Then we got into tea and then eventually got into wine. So a couple of hundred years ago we got into the wine business. And historically, the reason we're here, I mean, is because we've got Berry Brothers and Rudd's own selection of single malt whiskies. For the last two years we have won the Independent Bottler of the Year 
simply because of our selection of other people's casts that we find available in the marketplace, you understand. But it is really going back to about a hundred years ago and a little bit more, when we probably had five or six casts that would be open of whiskey, and anybody would come in from the street and make their own selection, effectively make their own blend. And we did this for very many years until people said, well, we want a whiskey that doesn't have any smoke in it. Because it's become fashionable to drink whiskey before lunch and before dinner. But we know, as your customers from Berry Brothers and Ride with Fine Wines, that if we do that, our palate is wrecked. Because the smoke is very sticky. As you know, in the process of making whiskey, it starts right at the beginning, and even 25 years later, you can still taste it. So we produced a whiskey that was smokeless, and that was Cutty Sark, and that was the launch of Cutty Sark. So it became very popular um, in the United States of America during Prohibition. The real McCoy, Captain Bill McCoy, was a punter in the Bahamas, and he made his name, we think, on the back of Cutty Sark, because he was selling only the authentic product to people on the high seas who would then smuggle it into the United States of America, Legstar and Capone, all those underworld characters would, in those days, use cutty as the currency. So that, up until about the 1990s, was the main form of income, actually, for Berry Brothers and Rudd, over and above the wine side. So it was the supporter of the wine side. Then in the 1990s, we took on Glen Rothis, which wasn't our distillery, but we took on the brand and developed the brand. Very different bottle completely the opposite to most other whiskey bottles around. And this, sorry to interrupt, but this was a, a whiskey that up to that point was very much restricted to, to being used in blends? 99.99% were blends. And it's a big distillery, and the reason it's a big distillery is that a lot of blenders love Glenrothes as a top dresser. So to enhance an otherwise regular um, blend, they would add Glenrothes to it to enhance it, to make it a little bit better. It had a, Another property which was that it had an ability, like a diplomat, to be able to get contrasting personalities of different whiskies together. And there were a few of those. McCallum was another one. But they loved it for that reason. Today, we have restricted the amount of vintage whiskey available to 2%. So the other 98% still goes to other, other um, whiskies. So it's the backbone, for instance, of Cuttysark. It always was. It's the backbone of famous Grouse and has been for 20 or 30 years, I think. Um, and then quite a lot of other companies, major companies, big companies, will buy Glenrothes to enhance their, their blend still today. So as a single malt, it was launched with the concept of vintage only, and there was no other whiskey that was doing this. And the reason that we did it was, as wine merchants, we know that whiskey matures at its own pace, as people do and wine do. So we said, well, why are people putting a 12-year-old age statement on it, knowing full well that 12 years old in one day doesn't make a whiskey magical, the same way it doesn't make a person mature at 16 years old on his birthday. So we tried an awful lot of whiskies before we actually launched it. And one of the key things was maturity. So we sell Glen Rothies on the basis of maturity and not age. Secondly, we sell maturity for moments and not because you want to show off and you've got a, you can buy a 21-year-old when I can only afford a 12-year-old. Um, so it was very important for us to get across the philosophy of Perry Brothers and Run, which is all quality-led and has been for 300 years. It's simply a bridge between the best 
experience from the best wines and the best consumers. That's yeah. all we're doing. So it's finding those best spirits and offering them to the best consumers. So we're servicing a very small percentage of society here. As you can imagine, the average price of a bottle of wine in Berry Brothers and Rudd is just over £20. The average price of a bottle of wine in a supermarket in this country, as you know, is £4.30. So it's a different clientele, it's a top-end clientele, and everything that we have and service to those people obviously has to be of that sort of top quality. Now, awful question to ask, but I'm sure some people are wonder this. With a company with such a history, how easy is it to keep track with the modern and the future impact of society, the future trends? How easy is that? Uh, it's a very good question, and if you walk into Berry Brothers and Rudd, you walk into a bit of history, probably accompanied by three or four Americans saying, Chuck, have you ever been into a museum that sells wine before? And the reason that it is considered to be a contemporary traditionalist shop is because we move with the times. We have won in the last ten years, I think, six or seven times the best internet um, site in the whole of the wine spirits world in Europe. Um, and we have people who are continuously updating their knowledge about wines and spirits. We have five masters of wine out of the 260-odd masters of wine in the world. Uh, we have people who are incredibly knowledgeable. And we have moved with the times and converted some of the cellars into dining areas for 60, 70 people. Wonderful dining areas, which we rent out as well, so people can purchase their things there. And in the old Dickensian desks, well hidden, but nevertheless they're there, are computers. So we have computer screens in the old raised Dickensian desk that only 30 or 40 years ago had people sitting with a, with a pen yeah. and, and a ledger book. So we have moved the times, we computerized probably in the last 30 years, and we're right at the forefront now, I think, of um, contemporary wine and spirit sales. We do over 30% of our total business online with wines, which is quite interesting. It's uh, a demonstration, I think, of the trust that people have in Berry Brothers and Rudd and, and tradition. Um, and wine is something that really you need to taste, and you go on recommendation of somebody you really trust. And now we've launched a couple of new spirits, apart from the Glenrothes, which we now own. We purchased um, as a brand last year in 2010. Um, we've launched a number three gin, which is considered to be, it was made actually by the only man in the world who's got a PhD in gin, right. David Clutton, what he's called. And David, together with a whole group of other people from the trade, martini makers, writers, distillers, got together in a very democratic process. And we produced what we consider to be the best or quintessential London dry gin for a martini. Because of course in a martini, you can't hide any flaws in your gin. So it's got to be absolutely perfect. So that's why it was developed. And it's beginning to show its quality now and it's really taken off. Then we resuscitated or revivified, I think it's probably a better word, the King's Ginger Liqueur, which was created for King Edward VII in 1903 to revivify him after he'd been driving in his horse's carriages, which were open top daimlers. He had eight of them in 1903 and he needed something to revivify him after he'd been out. The wind chill factor was minus whatever. Um, and his doctor, who was also a customer of ours, said, can you try him out on something which will restore him back to his usual self? So he tried slow gin, no, 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 no. He tried cherry brand, no, 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 no. And he then hit in on the 
what now is known as the King's Ginger Liqueur. So that, together with a little bit of whiskey, 50-50, is the most wonderful, what we call a rusty tack. Yeah, lovely. Yeah. Thank you ever so much for your time. Oh, no, delighted. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming over. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Malted Muse podcast. If anybody does want to contact me, my email address is jim at themaltedmuse.com or, of course, you can contact me through the website www.themaltedmuse.com where there's more information and some links. Until next time, thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.